0: good evening we want to welcome you to our Wednesday evening Bible study we thank you for joining us if you're joining in for the first time we're especially thankful to have you viewing tonight At this time I want to turn it over to brother Ken Forrest Uh, brother Ken is our minister here at Boonville and we look forward to another wonderful lesson from God's Word please join in now as we study God's Word together
1: thank you so much Brandon It's great to see everybody again in a kind of an unusual way but I'm very thankful that you've chosen to be a part of our study tonight. I know that there are some folks who aren't actually members of the Boonville Church who are tuning in and taking advantage of our study and I will remind you that the purpose of this is to help us as a body here at Boonville to be a great church. So if you're from another place, I hope that maybe you can take these principles and apply them to your life, maybe to your setting, and be able to share the good news of the things that we're learning here together. I'll also encourage you, if you can, catch up on some of the past lessons. Well, there's been one, but you can check those out weekly and kind of refresh your mind, whatever, as regards that study. Now, each one of these studies is actually independent of the others, but kind of as I've arranged them, we're just, we're basically building. So last week, we talked about ourselves being a people who have a great purpose. That ties into our mission as a church. And tonight, I want to stress the fact that we are a people of great unity and compassion, that all of us together we're going to care about one another we're going to be if you will a brother's keeper now i encourage you also as we go along maybe have a a notepad have your bible handy we'll be looking at a lot of scriptures if you jot those things down then you won't have to go back and refresh with a video you'll have those texts you can study them on your own and maybe make more application to your life. You'll be able to expand through your own study some of the things that we will touch on here tonight. And again, when we deal with any subject, we don't have the time, and I probably don't have the wherewithal to deal with every aspect of that subject, but this, as they say, is an effort to kind of wet our whistle and give us an opportunity to look at some things that are going to help us as a church toward the future. So we want to build a great church here in Boonville and tonight we're gonna stress the idea of unity and the idea of compassion for one another. Before we start that, let's have a prayer together and then we'll begin our study. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the blessing of this day and we thank you for this opportunity that we can study together I pray, Father, that the things that we uncover will help us to be everything that you desire for us to be as a church. Help us to be effective in the place where we're planted, right here in Boonville, Mississippi. Lord, maybe we've not been what we should have been in the past, but Lord, help us not look backwards. We're not going in that direction. Help us to focus intently on the future. And to look at ourselves, to to realize the things that need to be changed about us, and, and then to be confident in our knowledge to move forward. Help us tonight, especially think about unity and the beauty that it is. And also compassion for one another, especially for those who are less fortunate in the body. And to be sensitive to the needs of other people. And help us to be in tune with one another. Lord, I pray that you will bless me as I'm leading our study and bringing some thoughts to light, looking at the scriptures, and be with those who are studying with me that they can be benefited from the things that uh, I've discovered, the things that you share in the scriptures, in Jesus' name, amen. In the book of Acts chapter four, beginning at verse 32, The scripture says, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked. For all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them, brought the proceeds of the things that were sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet, And they distributed to each as anyone had need. And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Harmony is one of those things that I guess is one of the most beautiful things that we could ever experience. Sometimes when you're in a worship service, I would say that's especially true here in Boonville. You hear various parts sung. We say we're harmonizing. We're all singing the same song. We're expressing the same truths in the lyrics of the songs. But all those notes mingling together make what is a tremendous message in and of itself that much more meaningful and impactful to us because we are all harmonizing we're joining our voices together sometimes you see beautiful aspects of harmony in a family setting when the father and the mother are working together in order to instruct and encourage their children in the lives that they're living the day-to-day activities the tasks Someone might say even the mundane of that life. Actually, it's a beautiful thing to see the simplicity. The joy that comes in family members, each one having their own responsibilities and tasks coming together for the good of the whole unit. Harmony is seen in teams. We see a football team or a basketball team volleyball, soccer, you name it. When a team comes together, every single member has their responsibility, but when each of those responsibilities, each one different in and of itself, but when they come together, when they combine, that makes for harmony. It makes for a a beautiful picture. Sometimes we see harmony like in an orchestra. Now, you can see the orchestra and you can see the individual members Interesting fact about that is that every instrument has its own line of music that it plays. And sometimes, if you were just to listen to that instrument play its particular responsibility in the music score, you would say, well, I don't really understand what they're playing. It doesn't make much sense to me as I'm hearing it. But when you join that individual score with everybody else's, All of a sudden now, those individuals blending together make for a harmonious composition, something that's absolutely beautiful. In fact, that is so predictable that Beethoven in his later years, as he had lost his hearing, was able through the vibration in the floor and through his own imagination to be able to continue to write music simply because he knew that all those individual parts blending together would make a beautiful, beautiful composition. There's nothing that God has designed, no feature of all creation, that is supposed to be an exemplar of harmony any more than what he expects of us actually in the church. The church is something that God fashioned in his mind before the very foundation of the world. And the idea of every member in that church working together for the harmonious good, not just for each individual, but also to the glory of God, all of that God considers to be incredibly beautiful. And so the responsibility that we have as members of the body of Jesus Christ to be a part of that harmonious joining together of unity in the body of Christ. That's a a huge daunting responsibility. We see that demonstrated in the text that I mentioned a moment ago from Acts chapter four. Here we have folks who are in need and those who had plenty they went and sold land and everything else that they had in order to see to the needs of others. You see, they thought of the unity of the body and the good of the body before they thought of themselves. I don't know if anything's more beautiful than the selflessness that's exemplified in those verses. And that can certainly be demonstrated in our lives. Now, Jesus talked some about Aspects related to that in passages throughout the New Testament scriptures I think of one statement that Jesus made in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9 Jesus said blessed are the peacemakers for they should be called sons of God Now you say now wait a minute can well what does being a peacemaker have to do with unity? Well, actually, the sense of peacemaker isn't just talking about settling arguments or trying to bring calm. In this context, it is, it is the high calling of establishing a sense of unity between those who are lost and God, of bringing peace between God and men. He said blessed are those peacemakers because they're sons of God. They, they have taken on the responsibility that God has given us in the sense of bringing people together. And in that that idea, the greatest bringing together of all, that of God and man. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 31 and 32, the scripture there says, to let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. Now there, Jesus is used as the example of what we are to be. Uh, we're not to give ourselves over to natural inclinations, you know, when things don't go our way or, or, or we're, we feel angst directed towards somebody else. We, we become unkind or uh, we, we have malice in our hearts. He says, get rid of all that stuff. And become intentional with regard to your relationship with God directed toward others. Fueling Jesus' attributes through ourselves. Now, get that, united with God, such that those attributes become ours. And then channeling those things out into our relationship with others. To be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave us in the church, we've got to set our minds on some higher things. So last week, as I mentioned, we considered our purpose together, the mission that we have as the church, but understanding that all of us are working together on that mission, that means that great unity has got to fill this church. Now, I want you to understand that idea I brought in the the channeling of the things of God, not just our relationship with God, but with one another. That is not something that's going to come naturally to all of us. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 4, as that chapter began, Paul said, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. For there is one body, and one spirit, just as you are called, and one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Now, if you took note of those, or you, you can look back at that text, you'll realize there are seven individual aspects that Paul brings out as being those aspects that are necessary for us to be united together in our cause. In fact, he builds it up in a, in a powerful way. Here is what unity is. And unity is wrapping itself around these seven ones. You know, there's one body. There's one Lord. There's one hope. There's one baptism. There's one spirit. There's one hope of our calling, Lord every everything that is listed here in this text is reminiscent of those things that are binding us together now as we're launching forth in our responsibility to god we need to understand that oneness isn't something we generated that was something that we learned as instructed by the lord himself our study of the scriptures and its impact upon our spirit and i think about jesus as he talked about this very thing, he actually, I guess, framed it in terms of a prayer. In John chapter 17, verses 20 and 21, he says, And I do not pray for these alone, but also for all those who are going to believe in me through their word, that they may be one. As you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Now, Jesus had also talked about love as being that binding aspect in John chapter 13 but here he says understand also that when it comes to unity that unity is going to be the basis of the revealed truth so the father pronounces that to the son the son delivers that truth to us and then we in accepting that truth become one with both the one who delivered it to us the son and with the father himself just as Jesus and the father are one now on the basis of truth we have become one as well Again, understanding unity isn't something we made up. Unity is something that is made a result of our relationship with God. And so I'm I'm thinking about us being bound together, and boy, that sounds great. And we say, Yeah, we are one and all those things. We we can list the seven ones and we can say, Yep, all those things are in place, but understand that as much as we strive to have those things in our lives and strive to have great relationships with one another, eventually, eventually, somehow or another, one of us is going to slip up in our relationship with one another, which is so important, right? Got to maintain unity, but something's going to happen. It's going to cause us to, to have a falling out to one degree or another. What then? What happens to our unity? Well, the Lord has his way, And the scriptures maintain that way, and maybe you've heard of this, Matthew chapter 18. In verses 15, 16, and 17 in that text, Jesus reminds us that even even when there are offenses to occur, that we have a responsibility to seek the best of our brother or our sister, because what we wanna do more than anything is to maintain unity. So, if, if a brother or a sister's offended us, we take that offense to them. We do it one on one. We try to keep this thing private just between the two of us. And if we're able to sway, if we're able to resolve that offense, we've, we've saved our brother, we've reconciled ourselves, and we still maintain unity. If somehow or other we're not able to reconcile the situation, then he says, Well, in that case, then bring in one or two witnesses. That by the mouth of two or three witnesses, you know, all of this can be testified to. and Maybe you can resolve it that way. But even if that doesn't resolve it, he says, okay, if that doesn't work, then you take it to the church. And if that doesn't resolve it, then and only then does separation occur. Then and only then do you treat them as, well, what he calls a tax collector, uh, a heathen. Here is one step right after the other, an effort to maintain unity. That's, that's the Lord's way. I, I want to do whatever it is that I can in order to save the relationship. And I'm going to bend over backward every step of the way to do my very best to see to it that that situation is resolved. Whatever the offense was, that we can have it resolved and that unity can be restored, because after all, that's, that's the beauty of our harmony, our relationship together, yes. Unity not only is made, <clears throat> unity has got to be kept. That is, once it's started, I, I want to hang on to it. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, Paul's writing to the Corinthian church. And listen, if you've read that book and Second Corinthians, you know those guys had all kinds of problems. But he prefaces it all by saying, "Look, I'm I'm pleading with you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you all speak the same thing, and that you be joined together, right? That there be no divisions among you, but that you be joined to together in the same mind and the same judgment. We've got to have a perfect unity." a striving together. He says, there can't be divisions like I'm hearing that you are experiencing. He hits that note again in chapter 12, verse 25, when he, well, at least in the English, he uses a different word. Instead of division, he calls it a schism. And he says, look, we've got to have the same care for one another. Don't you love each other? That would be the question. Well, yeah, but you know, we got these problems. That's okay. Problems can be resolved. Someone's offended me, Matthew 18. I'm, I'm going to go to them, going to seek resolution because unity is important. It's number one. You've got to maintain this oneness. So here, Corinth, all these problems, Paul says, don't be divided. Don't allow a schism to develop. And then I'm thinking, okay, if, if I have that mindset and I know that I've got to say together, Maybe maybe some degree of encouragement as to what we aspire to, right? You know uh, uh, paint a picture for me that will help me to understand exactly what unity is all about. And of course the Bible does that in lots of different ways. I, I was thinking about Psalm one hundred thirty three. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard that went down to the edge of his garments, as the dew of Hermon, as the dew descended upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Okay, so again, let's go in reverse. Boy, I want to go to heaven. I want to have life forevermore. And he says, well, let's experience that. That that was coming, at least in that Old Testament economy, from the source of Jerusalem. And so he was like, okay, let's set our minds on this. You remember, remember how important it was when when Aaron stood before the people, that, that first high priest, and he was anointed? The, the picture that was painted in Scripture was that he, he was anointed from top down. So when that oil started at the top of his head, it just gradually floated down over his hair. It got into his beard. Then it trickled down on his shoulders and onto the vestiture. That which included stones representing all of the 12 tribes of Israel. That, blessed, that breastplate and that oil just brought all of those together. And then it continued to trickle all the way down to the ground, even to the hem of his garment down to his very feet. So the picture of unity is described, the blessedness of that unity, bringing to mind the picture of Aaron, the the Holy One of God, holiness unto the Lord, the, the picture of that oneness coming from the very head all the way to the foot, from the greatest in the nation all to the very least. He said, if that That doesn't do it for you. Then think about the the natural occurrence of the dews of Hermon. Hermon being the the snow-capped, tallest mountain in the region. How that that dew that begins at the top, eventually it trickles down. It begins to gain momentum as more and more of that combines. And it, it gets into the streams and the rivers. And ultimately it goes into the valleys. And it feeds, it nourishes all that's there beneath it. Again, the same picture. Unity is not about a kind of hierarchy. It isn't about divisiveness and this one and that one. It is about a comprehensive oneness that brings together everybody in the work of the Lord. I think that's what Paul was getting at in Philippians chapter 2. It says, therefore there's any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Listen, when it comes to the church, when it comes to when it comes to being a great church, this church has to be filled with great unity. But I mentioned we're not just talking about unity here tonight. We also want to talk about compassion. You and I, as the church, well, we've got to be filled with great compassion too. I want to, I want to share a passage of scripture with you. I don't, I don't know how you think about God and, and your relationship with him and how he sees everybody else. Maybe, maybe you think of him in your relationship concerned about the needs that you have. I mean, after all, that's why you go to God in prayer, right? You have your own particular list of things that you're concerned about. You have the life that you're living. Maybe you even voice in your prayers, no, Lord, I, I know there are a lot, of, a lot of things going on in the world, but here, here's my concern." Hey, I get that. We have that kind of relationship with God. And can you imagine that all of those who are striving to be in that kind of relationship with God, of all the requests, all the concerns that are laid at God's feet continually, 24 hours a day, every single day of the week, all year long, every year, throughout the course of human history, think about the magnitude of that. But here's a text for you to consider as regards God's care for the poor, or you might say God's care for those who are in need. It comes from Psalm 68 and verse 5. And here's what the text says. A father of the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy habitation. Now look at that text, and I want it to sink in for a minute. I want want to know if you see what I see. Now again, he says, father of the fatherless, defender of widows, is God in his holy habitation. All these concerns, right? Laid at God's feet throughout human history. I get it. A lot of people want God's attention. When you had a busy day when well, you worked hard, I don't know if it's menial labor, you've been outside working hard, or you were sitting at a desk working figures or, or working words, maybe your teacher, or whatever it is, when you finally get home, what do you do? You know, do you just keep working at that? Most likely not. Most likely, at least for a time, when you get home, you, you are beat. And so maybe you lay down on the couch or, or your favorite chair. Maybe you got, maybe, got one of those, maybe got one of those lazy boys. You just kind of stretch out. And what do you do then? Well, some of you maybe take a nap or maybe you turn on the television. Just, just watch some meaningless, mind-numbing stuff because after all, you're tired. You've been busy all day. You're like, man, I need a break. When you come home, when you go to your habitation, you're like, "Look, I just, I just want to relax." Now, this text says, "You know, in those calm moments for God, whenever that is, when God, when God's able to just take a break from all that that stuff, that." Is a great concern for him, and, and he kind of you know he just kind of reclines back in his holy habitation. What is it that he's doing? You know, is he just wasting the moments away? Not God. No, the, the thing that gets at the very root of God, when everything else is just kind of muted, and God is able to focus on the thing that really means the most to him. It's these two things here in this text. Father of the fatherless. Defender of widows. When it comes right down to it, God is, at His very core, concerned about those who are less fortunate. Concerned about those who are the oppressed. And and let me ask you at the outset here, if that's God's concern... What ought my concern to be? There's a story in the book of Mark, chapter 12, verses 41 to 44. You've heard the story many times. It's about the poor widow. Jesus is watching the treasury as people are putting their money in that treasury. And the rich, oh, they come, they put in a lot. But here comes this poor widow. And she puts in two mites. When she does that, Jesus calls for the attention of his disciples. Now, the reason that Jesus has to do that is because those disciples are not paying attention to that. That is not something that even registers in their mind. They don't care about that. Now, they might have been amazed at some of the things they had seen dropped in that treasury if they were watching it at all. But Jesus says, whoa, come over here. Look at this. This widow right here, This is something special. Because those other people, others that had contributed, even the rich who had given their great amounts, he said they had been giving out of their abundance. But this widow, this poor widow, she had given all that she had, she had given her whole livelihood. Now, who noticed that? Jesus did. And, and that's because with God, he's, he's Father of the fatherless. He is Defender of widows. God cares about those who are in need. Now, you might be asking okay, yeah, God's concerned about them. (laughs) If God's concerned about them, why should I be concerned about them? I mean, if they're on the top of his list and he's already promising to take care of them, then why should I care about it? Well, here's the thing about unity as it's connected with compassion. Let's ask ourselves, how do we expect that God's going to care for those that are on the top of his list? I'm going to suggest to you that he's expecting to carry through on that great desire of his through us. In James chapter 1 verse 27, pretty blatant statement there. It says that pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this to visit the fatherless and the widows and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Now to visit the fatherless and the widows is almost a direct reflection of psalm 68 and verse 5 and that is god says you know what pure religion is and religion by the way is just the practice of our spiritual duties so he says you want to know what real religion is the purest form of it when you just trim everything out from around the edges and you get to the core of it he says here's what it is it goes to the very heart of what god is most concerned about And that is the fatherless and the widows. And you say, well, he says to visit them, so we should have a visitation program, go and see those who are orphans when we can, and see to the widow. Look, the word visit there literally means to take care of, to see to the needs of. Who's supposed to do that? (laughs) He said, well, now the purest form, the purest aspect of your spiritual service is taking care of the fatherless. He's the father of the fatherless. And widows. He's the defender of widows. God cares about them. We should be caring about them. Why? Well, he says that's pure religion. Another reason would be that, well, when when we do that, when we care for them, we actually receive help from the Lord. Now, this is from Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 17. There the text tells us that if we take care of the needs of the poor, that is, if if I will, I I don't know, I I need to buy them food, I need to buy them clothing, great. You say, well, I'm out. You know, I just spent money. I didn't really. that text says that if I will see to the needs of the poor, those who are, are needy, those who are helpless, can't provide for themselves, he says, I am lending to the Lord. And that the Lord will return to you, in effect, what you lended to Him. Now get that. It's like as if, okay, we're just kind of going along here. We see someone that's in need. We say, well, you know what? I, I could help them, but the Lord will take care of it. Wait, stop. The Lord is going to take care of it. But God intends to take care of it through you, through me. And here's what the Lord says. Don't worry about that. Because what you give to them is like you're lending it to me, and I'm going to return that to you. God, the Lord, will take care of that need through us. We'll not suffer loss as a result of doing kind things for other people. Do you know that taking care of those who are in need is actually a kind of demonstration of our faith? That comes from James chapter 2. I'm thinking specifically about verses 15, 16, and 17 because he talks about a brother or sister who is naked and destitute of food. They've come to you for help. But he says, you know there are some people, and don't let it be you, but there are some people who will go up to that brother or sister who's destitute, who's naked, who needs food. They'll put their arm around them and they'll say, oh, bless you, you know. Oh, things are going to be great. You just kind of go on your way. Be warmed and filled. Stop. What just happened there? Someone will say, well, you know, hey, I hate this has happened to you. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. As we walk them out the door and we'll say, I'll say a prayer for you. I'll say, wait, stop. How is God intending to take care of that? Just gonna, just man are gonna fall down from heaven? (laughs) You know, they're gonna walk out our church building right there in the ditch, God's gonna have a welcome package for them? No, he was scolding those brethren. You know, in fact, the conclusion of it is that if you treat people like that, in other words, they've come, they have a need, you don't help them with their need, but you just kind of push them along. He says the same is true for a person who says they have faith, but they don't have works. A person who doesn't have works in accompaniment with their faith, he says, their faith is dead. Well, stop right there. Are you saying to me that if I have what I'm calling my Christian faith, And I'm just kind of going along with the idea that, boy, I'm serving God with all my heart, whole mind and strength. I'm just doing the very best that I can to serve God. I come to worship services all the time, but here's somebody in need and I just kind of turn my back on them. Are you saying that that is a lack of faith that demonstrates a dead faith? Well, I didn't say that. But this text is suggesting that if we truly have the faith, if we're truly putting legs on our relationship, our so-called relationship, the relationship we say we have with the Lord, if we're really putting legs on that, then we're going to take care. We're going to become the means by which God is accomplishing His works on the earth. i become an agent for the Lord. I don't just pat them on the back and send them on the way and say, be warmed and filled. What I'm going to do is I'm going to give them such as necessary for their warming and I'm going to give them food to eat. I'm thinking also in that same regard that when I do extend myself, really all I'm doing is showing mercy to somebody who's suffering. Isn't that true? I'm showing mercy to them. And here's what the Bible says about that. Matthew chapter five, verse seven, blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. Now here's what I want from God. I want his mercy, don't you? I do not want to receive what I deserve in terms of my faults. I want God to have mercy on me. In order to receive that mercy, I have to be, well, you read it, I have to be merciful. And then I'm thinking about that end scene, the judgment scene when we're standing before the Father, and decisions are being made about who's going into the kingdom of heaven. It comes down to this. It isn't about, well, show me your attendance card or how many gospel meetings you attended, that sort of thing. Here's what Jesus sees in those who are welcomed into the eternal habitation, that holy habitation of God. Matthew chapter 25, 35, and 36, he says, I was hungry and you fed me, I was thirsty. You gave me a drink. I was a stranger. You took me in. I was naked. You clothed me. I was sick. You visited me. I was in prison. You came to me. Of course, the righteous, they don't keep records of all that. And so they're like, well, Lord, when do we do these things? And Jesus says, inasmuch as you did it to the least of these, my brethren, listen now, you did it to me if we're going to be a great church we're going to have to have great compassion but now i'm also thinking that as regards unity and compassion when you put those together and you think about the body of christ and and our day-to-day relationship with one another that means we are have to be going to have to be involved in one another's lives we're going to have to know what's happening Now. I appreciate the bulletins that we have, and I hear people that they call, and, and they get information about folks, and they spread that information around. That is terrific. But each one of us is responsible to seeing to the needs and caring for the other member. And so we're plugged in, we want to see that everybody's cared for, and that when needs exist, that they're met, we're the conduit through which God's goodness is extended to others. If I don't know about it, then I can't do it, Right? And so in order to satisfy my responsibility to the Lord, I'm, I'm going to put myself out there, aren't I? I'm going to be that person who bears others' burdens. Galatians chapter 6 verse 2, bear one another's burdens. Oh, and he says here, and so fulfill the law of Christ. You know, to love your neighbor as yourself, that's satisfied when you bear one another's burdens. I want to help lift up some of the weight that you're carrying so it's not so great a burden for you. And then as I'm helping you, you're helping somebody else. You see that? We're all just helping one another along life's weary and dreary way, song says. We also, we're going to encourage one another. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Don't you like that? Consider, think about, be concerned about one another, to stir up. Now, if I'm concerned enough about you to stir things up in you, pretty involved in you, right? I'm not just saying, hey, you know, if you want to, or I hope this isn't bothering you too bad, don't want to put on an emphasis. Not like that. But I demonstrate I, I really care for you. I care enough about you that I'm going to encourage you along the way. And I'm not, I'm not going to go the other side of that. I am not going to unmercifully judge you. Now you understand judging is just basically making a calculation about evidence. But it is possible to take that matter of judgment and become unmerciful. Now I want God's mercy. So when Jesus talked about judgment, he framed it this way, Matthew chapter 7. Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. That's a, that's a warning, isn't it? And that's a pretty strong warning. Listen, when you deal with other people, you make sure that you do so in a merciful, as much as you can and understanding sort of way. You, you've got to have a genuine care and concern for this person. I'm going to see to the need that exists even if it's something negative in their life not trying to unsettle them certainly not trying to break unity with them but to seek uh, rest restoration for them and then I- I'm I'm also thinking about going to a brother or a sister when things kind of get off the rails similar to what we talked about Before Now, before we went to Matthew chapter 18, verses 15, 16, and 17, there someone has offended me, and it's my responsibility in the interest of unity to go to them, not spread it around, but go directly to them and try to fix the situation just between them and me. But that can also go the other way, and that is, I have offended somebody. Do I have any responsibility there? Well, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and following, Jesus said, If you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Agree with the adversary while you're on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge, judge hand you over to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there till you've paid the last penny. Now here... Kind of an awkward scenario, but look, I, you know what? I'm going about my life, and I'm trying to serve God, I've come to worship God. and All of a sudden, I remember, and I'm out of sorts with my brother. I did such a, oh, I could argue my my side of it, and I could be all bowed up about it and proud and say, Well, you know what? He's the one that's wrong, and I'm never talking to him again. He wants, he knows my number. If he wants to call me, he can call me. If he, he knows where I live. Uh-uh. Jesus said, if you want to have a worshipful relationship with me and you know that your brother's out of sorts with you, aren't you concerned about him being out of sorts with you? Say, but I'm innocent. Hey, peace, you might be innocent, but that brother doesn't think you're innocent. And so if you want to worship me, God says, you better get your relationship right with your brother. So leave your gift there before the altar and go your way first. Be reconciled to your brother. Go to your brother, work this thing out. Why? Because unity matters. In fact, being out of sorts with my brethren under the right circumstances means, uh-oh, I'm out of sorts, out of sorts with God. But let's say all oh, things being equal, okay, uh, we've got things right and now you know what, I, I realize my brother uh, is in sin and what do I do now? Well, actually, I have a responsibility at least to reach out to them in that condition, to bring them back, to restore the erring, so to speak. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, If a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. In other words, you know what? That guy could be you. Under other circumstances, it might be you, the one that's in this sin. So if you have the right mind about you, you're mature enough, you're able to deal with the situation without getting sucked into it, then by all means, reach out to that brother because he's lost. In James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way saved a soul from death and covered a multitude of sins. And and I'm just thinking about the end result there. You're talking about somebody who went away who was disassociated with the body and now has been restored. Perfect harmony has come back in the church. Now, I don't know, again, as I said from the very beginning, don't know of anything, at least in God's mind, is more beautiful than the harmony that exists in a church that's unified. Listen, as regards the church, we want to be a great church. We're going to have to have great unity and great compassion. And those two, when they come together, result in our being concerned about our brethren, of being, a, if you will, a brother's keeper. Listen, if you are a child of God, if you're in Christ, then you are a son or a daughter of God. And in that family relationship with God, there are no stepchildren, there are no favorites played, and members in that body are not put on probation when they make a mistake. They're forgiven, and then they're restored to their original place. In the church if we're all about great unity and great compassion then we're going to be like god we're going to put the least of us as the greatest of consideration to see to their needs we're going to be involved in one another's lives to the extent that not only do we know what's happening but we're going to put legs on that if a need exists we're going to do what is our very best to see to the satisfaction of that need. All right. Thank you so much for your attention tonight and for going with me through this study. And I hope that some of the things we looked at here, the scriptures and whatnot, are going to be of a benefit to you. Now, Brandon's going to come and give us a few more announcements, things that you need to know about. And then I'll look forward to seeing you again next week. Thanks a lot.
0: First of all, I just want to tell Brother Ken thank you for that lesson. I know that's one uh, we may want to go back and view a few times but uh, it's certainly good to be here and be able to visit with Ken a little bit. I um, want to draw your attention to our bulletin. I guess the first announcement I will make is to remind everyone uh, to stop by the annex each week to pick up communion supplies and you can pick up the bulletin there lots of information lots of uh, names on our sick list that we need to remember so if you get that opportunity please stop by uh... the annex to do that there are also lesson notes and you can leave your contribution uh... you can also uh, use the online giving through our website for your contribution also um, we have again several more than several a lot of people we need to pray for uh, that. Are on our sick list. And just a few names I want to mention. uh, Buster Green, Billy Mormon, Marilyn Martin, Jonathan Hutchins, Delma Sanchez, Donald Green, Luella Green, Jessica Wentz, Dale and Marty, uh, excuse me, Dale and Mary Woodruff, Charlene Langley, and many, many others uh, from our congregation with COVID, many others uh, with ongoing treatments. We just need to remember these in our prayers, and as Ken said, we we need to encourage, uh, reach out to them, and see how we can help them. Uh, Remember these families who are going through difficult times. Uh, Keep them in your prayers, and let's do what we can to help and to love these. Uh, They're on this list. Also, a reminder that the food pantry and clothes closet will be open Thursday, August 13th, and also Thursday, August 20th. That'll be from 9 to 10.30 a.m., and also uh, again there's several other announcements you may want to look at if you'll get that bulletin from the annex Uh, also Brant wanted me to remind everyone that uh, if you're uh, involved with the audio stream or know someone who gets the audio stream that tonight's uh, lesson will be sent uh, will be sent on Thursday night so the Wednesday night lesson will be sent on Thursday night if you're involved with the audio stream or know someone who is Uh, That's all the announcements I have, if you will. uh, Let's close our service tonight with a prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you so much for this time that we have that we can study God's word together. We're so thankful for this lesson that we've heard that Ken has presented and studied so hard. And and We thank you that we were able to hear this lesson and and remind us to uh, be unified, that we uh, need to love one another to remind us to have compassion for others and to help those in need. Help us, God, to, uh, to, take, my, uh, to take note of that, especially this lesson we've heard, and to uh, try to be better people, a better congregation in that sense. Father, we uh, have many who are on our prayer list, many who need our prayers, many who are uh, hurting right now and struggling, and, and we just ask you to be with each of them. And again, to help us to encourage and to love these and to help them as they need us. Father, we pray for uh, this country. We pray for the leaders of this country. We pray for this, this situation that we're in with the pandemic that that hopefully soon that, that we can find an end to this and maybe a vaccine. And we just ask you, God, to, uh, to help with that. And we just ask you to, to help us to put our trust in you. Father, we uh, pray for our local schools and, and our children that you would uh, be with the teachers and and all those who were uh, involved with, with school and just uh, pray that you would encourage them, lift them up during this time and, and be with our children. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We love you so much and we thank you for your love for us. And We ask all this in your son's name. Amen.